It's 836. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Hey, a quick note. This is very exciting. If you are a rock and roll fan, they announced that Roger Waters is going to be, Roger Waters, of course, of, of Pink Floyd fame, you know, The Wall and Far Side of the Moon, Dark Side of the Moon and all that. He is going to be coming to the BMO Harris Bradley Center on July 29th. And here's the really cool thing. I have a bunch of tickets to give away. We will be giving away a pair of tickets all this week and for a good portion of next week during the 9 o'clock hour. So be listening during the 9 o'clock hour of the program today and for the next several days for your chance to win a pair of tickets to see Roger Waters, of course, formerly of Pink Floyd, um, as he is performing at the Bradley Center on July 29th. How cool is that? I mean, whenever... Whenever we talk about rock and roll history and wherever we talk about, you know, the album that if you could only listen to one album, a lot of people call up and it's Pink Floyd and it's either the dark side of the moon or it's Pink Floyd, the wall. Well, uh, this is the guy who was behind that coming to the Bradley Center and you'll have a chance to win a pair of tickets to see him starting during the nine o'clock hour of today's program. All right. We had an election yesterday and turnout was above what was expected, but still in a word, dismal. Um, the only race on the statewide ballot was for the Department of Public Instruction, essentially the state superintendent of schools. The incumbent is a guy named Tony Evers, who has been there since 2009. He is, it's a nonpartisan job, but but he's a lefty. He is the only, essentially the only liberal who I think occupies a statewide office of any significance at all. And, and even at that, the problem with this particular position is it, it's really it's tough to get too excited, at least for me to get too excited about the race, because the job really doesn't amount to much anymore. With Republicans in control of the legislature and the governor's office, it's the legislature that pretty much sets the agenda. Now, I understand the state superintendent you know, goes out and talks to schools and has some influence, perhaps, with trying to set standards and the whole Common Core thing and stuff like that. But in general... In general, it's as much of a figurehead position as anything. But there was a three-way primary, and Evers came through. He had about 70% of the vote. The turnout was only 8%. And some people would say, oh, that's that's pretty good. It was over what they anticipated. I mean, 8% of the vote is still not very much. He um, won, though. He won handily. He ended up with about 70% of the vote. The second-place finisher, Lowell Holtz, who's the guy I voted for, who was the one the one conservative of the three that were running, in my opinion. Holtz came in second with 23%. John Humphreys, uh, distant third, with 7%. So this now sets up the final Evers uh, versus Lowell Holtz for the general election when that rolls around in April. It's difficult to see whether or not there's going to be... Typically, when you look at these primary elections and you're trying to determine whether or not an incumbent is vulnerable... What you look at is the number of votes that all the challengers received. And sometimes you'll have a situation where if an incumbent wins, oh, a primary race, let's say there's a three-way primary, and the incumbent wins with 40% of the vote, but the other two challengers got 60%, that may, and I say may because the dynamic is always different in some primaries, but that may be an indication that the incumbent might be in a little bit of trouble in this particular case, again, um, Evers, who is the favorite choice of the educational establishment, um, he gets 70% of the vote. Holes gets 23%. It's kind of difficult to see how Holes is going to be able to make up that difference. But 
guess that's what campaigns are for. It's also going to be difficult to see how either candidate raises a ton of money in a race that I, I think a lot of people just don't necessarily believe the office is that important. But that was the result. Um, Tony Evers winning the primary handily and certainly good, bad, or indifferent, putting himself in a position to be reelected to another term. All right. We start off every show with a segment I call Three Big Things, things that I think you need to know for the day to talk about at the coffee closet or the water cooler or at the lunch hour. First, Trump cannot win for losing. Now, I, I think a lot of the criticism of President Trump for stylistic matters is very fair. I think the way they rolled out the immigration ban was very ham-handed and ill-conceived. I wish the guy would stay off of Twitter. I think the news conference that he held, for example, last week was, while entertaining, was really, I think, a little bit, more than a little bit over the top. And, And so while I recognize that what Trump does generates criticism regardless of what it's going to be. I, I also appreciate that, that some of the criticism he brings on himself. And then there is this story. Over the last couple weeks, you've had a history of people making a bomb threats and bomb threats to um, Jewish centers. You know, here in the Milwaukee area, you've had the Jewish Community Center in Whitefish Bay that's had to have been evacuated twice because of bomb threats that were being called in. And this is, I think, all part of this nationwide effort. It's not just targeted at one place. You've seen these anti-Semitic acts all over the country. And for the last week or two, there have been people who were saying, all right, the president needs to come out and the president needs to denounce these. Now, Barack Obama was very selective in what he chose to denounce and what he did not choose to denounce. And you didn't really hear a lot of criticism in the mainstream media when Obama just let some sort of stuff go. But Donald Trump has been getting a lot of criticism. You should be out there. You should be denouncing these anti-Semitic acts. You should use the power of the presidency. Use your bully pulpit to condemn these. And the fact that you're not condemning them, that means that you yourself must be anti-Semitic. Hillary Clinton even jumped into the fray a couple days ago. So yesterday, right, Donald Trump makes a series of statements. You know, he goes on MSNBC, and he, he also, you know, gives gives a speech. He talks about how we need to combat hatred in all of its very ugly forms. He talks about how he thinks the rise of anti-Semitism in the United States since his inauguration is horrible and painful. And again, so he, he on multiple occasions yesterday, he does what people have been calling for him to do. He comes out and he vigorously denounces denounces these anti-Semitic acts. So to the extent he is using the bully pulpit of the presidency, he is doing what people and his critics want him to do. You would think, perhaps, that that would satisfy his critics. Au contraire, looking at a story in USA Today this morning. Here's the headline. Trump too late in denouncing anti-Semitic acts critics say and the story talks about how okay trump was all over yesterday criticizing these acts and then it goes on to quote extensively from a number of the critics about how trump had passed up previous chances to do this and how essentially 
by waiting until yesterday to do what people have been calling on him to do for the last couple of weeks. It was too little, too late, which raises the question to me. Can the guy get credit for anything? I mean, seriously, if the critics are saying you need to speak out on this, he speaks out and then they say, well, you didn't speak out soon enough. Is this fair criticism? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Is too little too late a fair criticism of the president for his denunciation of anti-Semitism yesterday? 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. This is big thing number one. 848, 620, WTMJ. So after being beaten about not denouncing anti-Semitism. Donald Trump comes out, gives several speeches and several public pronouncements yesterday condemning it. So what is the what is the response? For example, I'm looking at a guy named Stephen Goldstein, executive director of the Anne Frank Center for Mutual Respect, who says, the president's sudden acknowledgement is a Band-Aid on the cancer of anti-Semitism that has infected his administration. It's a pathetic asterisk of condescension after weeks in which he and his staff have committed grotesque acts and omissions reflecting anti-Semitism, whatever that means. 414-799-1620. Is this a fair criticism of Donald Trump? Hey, you need to denounce these bomb threats that are being called into Jewish community centers across the country. All right, he does. Then, no, not enough. Can you please some people? Roger and Cudahy. Roger, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Um, well, every time when I watch all these other uh, liberal radio, or liberal TV stations, all they do is badmouth them. He wonders why that he, they keep, he keeps going after the press. Mm-hmm. And and they just keep bringing it on. It seems like they talk, they badmouth him. His his daughter's married to a Jewish uh, guy right. who's in his cabinet or whatever. You know, I'm not sure. I'm not not, not in the cabinet, but a very close advisor, right? The right, line. right, yep. an advisor position. Okay. Um, all they do is badmouth him. Nothing he does is right. Um, and never even, and even when that. even when he does what the critics are calling on him to do. He gets ripped for it. Okay, well, you, you didn't yeah, do no it soon enough, right? Right. It's, it's that, see, see, thanks. See, that's what that's the frustrating aspect of this. And I understand that there's some people who who just say, well, you know, why Donald Trump is awful, and we just need to just go after him all the time. And I, I and I look, I appreciate that they bring some of this on, but I mean, Barack Obama was very, very selective in the things that he chose to be outraged about. Now, I I don't know. Should Trump have come out, you know, when there, for example, when there was the first wave a couple weeks ago of the bomb threats that were being called into Jewish community centers? And should he have should he have denounced it at that point in time? Oh, OK. I, I, would he have been wrong to do it? No. But at the same time, I think presidents decide that they're not going to necessarily be knee jerk. And some presidents decide, OK, we're going to figure out how we're going to react to things. If anything, keep in mind, Donald Trump has been criticized rightly, in my opinion, for sometimes just being that loose cannon, going off and, and saying things perhaps when he shouldn't or when they should have been thought through more carefully. All right, well, all right. here's a situation where clearly it's very heartfelt. It is very well thought through. He does what the critics want, and still it doesn't make them happy. Go figure. Big thing number two coming up. All right, transgender bathrooms back in the news. Stick around. <laughs> It's 854, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big thing number two, the Trump administration is about to roll out new guidelines with regard to 
transgender student bathroom rules. Now, hear me out. You might remember in the waning stages of the Obama administration, Barack Obama used the Department of Education to come out with with an order. And the Department of Education said, we interpret the law to say that local school districts and states have no control over deciding bathroom issues. And that if you, for example, a local school district that decides that, say, all right, in a, in a grade school level, they want to say that you have to use the restroom that is specific to your gender, your biological gender, you, you cannot do that. The federal government said, if you do that, we will pull all our education funding from you. That was what Barack Obama said. And so essentially said, you, you have, if you do this, we interpret the law to mean that you're going to be in violation of federal law, and the way we're going to do it is you're not going to get any more funding anymore. Well, Barack Obama is gone, and the Trump administration is in, and they are taking a new look at it. And the reports are that any day, including maybe today, there will be a reversal of that position. Now, the Trump administration is not going to come out and say to local school districts, you cannot allow a transgender student to use, for example, who's biologically a female, to to use the boys' bathroom. They're not going to say that. But what they are going to say is local school districts, local uh, state departments of public education, state legislatures, you get to decide. And if you, for example, you want to pass a law that says that, you know, people can use locker rooms and use restrooms that associate and relate to their gender identity as opposed to their biological sexual um, identity, that's that's fine. You, You can do that. But we, the federal government, aren't going to force you to do that. And as you might expect, a number of the usual suspects are absolutely outraged, noting that, well, here's another example of where the Trump administration is refusing to defend the rights, safety, and dignity of children. 414-799-1620, That's the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. This is big thing number two. And I understand that there's a little bit of nuance here. This is not, do you think that, um, I don't know, 16-year-old biological boys should be able to go in and change clothes in girls' locker rooms if they identify as a girl? That's not really what this is. The, The larger question is, should states and local school districts be able to make that decision? Or is this a decision that we need to come from Big Brother? There's a handful of states, I believe there's as many as 15 states, that do have laws in place which says ex- say exactly this. You know, transgender kids, you can use the bathrooms that correspond with your gender identity as opposed to your, 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 your biology. And that's, that, that's fine. States do it. But the Trump administration appears to be ready to say, we are going to leave it up to the states, and we are not going to push this on the federal level. Is that an unreasonable position? Do you need the federal government to come down and do this under the threat of, hey, if you don't do what we want you to do, we're going to pull all the dough? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. To me, this is the proper and correct position that the federal government should be taking. I do not think this is a matter of federal law. 
I think that what goes on in school districts across the country should be a matter in this case, especially when it comes to, you know, what what are the sensibilities of the community? What is appropriate? How big an issue is this? I think this is a matter that should be up to local school boards or state departments of public education. And, for example, if a state department of of public education or a local school board decides to take what I think is the real common sense approach to this, which is to say, you know, we're going to have a gender neutral changing room that, you know, we, we don't even want to get into the middle of this. So, you know, if we have a student, again, biologically a boy, identifies as a girl, and we don't want to rate, we don't, we don't want to deal with these issues. We don't have to worry about these things. So here's our policy. We're going to set up a gender neutral changing room or bathroom. If they decide to do that, I think that's their business. 908, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We're right in the middle of our three big things segment. Uh, it appears that in the next day or so, the Trump administration is going to come out with a position on transgender bathrooms that is going to be, well, they're going to roll back what the Obama administration did. The Obama administration said, hey, we, the way we want to interpret federal law is we want to interpret it to require states that you have to you have to allow people to use locker rooms and bathrooms that correspond with their gender identity. The Trump administration appears to be ready to say, look, no, we, we don't think this is federal law. This is more a policy, and they're trying to use an interpretation of the Constitution to advance this. We're not going to do that. We're going to leave it up to the states. And if the states want to say you get to use whatever facility that it corresponds with your gender identity, that's fine but we're not going to force them. Or, more significantly, what I think is the easy answer to this whole thing, if states want to just say, hey, if you've got a transgender student, we are going to set up a separate changing area, let them use that, I think that avoids the whole problem. Let's start with Cassandra in Chicago. Cassandra, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you for calling. I'm about to run out of juice. Okay. But I think it's interesting that everybody got all worked up when Trump wanted to pull the funding from sanctuary cities, when that is the federal law, that is a federal task, right. constitutionally mandated. But now they're gonna, they didn't get all worked up when Obama threatened uh, the school districts with the pulling of their funding. Yes. Should <laughs> they not go along with this weird idea? Yeah. Which is... The weird part is my uh, editorializing. Well, I mean, I'm going to let you go, Cassandra, so you don't run out of juice on your cell phone. But, yeah, that's... And, and I guess I see these as distinct things. If, for example, you've got you've got local communities that want to set themselves up as sanctuary cities, that is in clear violation of federal law. And I think, just to your point, Cassandra, I think the the federal government is perfectly within its rights to say, all right, if you decide you do not want to follow federal law, you want to say, all right, we're going to not cooperate with immigration officials or whatever. I think it is perfectly fine, or it should be perfectly fine, for the, the federal government to say, all right, you're, you're going to lose federal funding, especially as to that aspects of federal funding that might have to do with services provided to people who are in this country illegally or whatever. Maybe not all federal funding, but certainly anything that might in any way be related to services that help underwrite the costs of people who are in this country illegally, I think they have the right to do it because I don't think states can simply say we are going to ignore federal law. And as you point out, the flip side of that is what's going on here. The flip side is you have the Trump administration saying, you know, here you had Barack Obama, which was taking who the Obama administration was taking 
an interpretation of the law that probably isn't correct and using it as leverage. But you're right. Where are the state's rights people here? And again, one of the things that drives me nuts about this entire transgender issue is the solution. The solution is so simple. The solution is so obvious. This is not a situation. They estimate that well under 1% of the students in public schools deal with transgender issues. So this is not this is not an issue that affects every school in America. It's not uh, it's not an issue that again comes up all the time. So to me, I would simply leave it up to the local school districts to figure out what works in a particular situation and to me the most obvious answer like I say is just all right, you know, we're going to have the boys locker room, we're going to have the girls locker room. And then if we happen to have one of these type of one of these students who does have these transgender, you know, issues, what we're going to do is we're going to set up a separate area for them so they don't need to be embarrassed and nobody else needs to be embarrassed. You know, case closed. It's so, so easy. Big thing number three. All right. Are people really as angry as reports would suggest? Or is this AstroTurf? We discuss next. And then one day you find ten years behind you. It's nine fifteen, Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. That is a Roger, of course, Roger Waters, formerly of Pink Floyd, one of the founding members of Pink Floyd. He's going to be performing at the BMO Harris Bradley Center as part of his world tour. He's coming here on July 29th. I have a pair of tickets to give away. We're not giving away right now, but sometime between now and ten o'clock. We will give away a pair of tickets to see Roger Waters at the BMO Harris Bradley Center. And actually, keep listening because I think for it's like the next six or seven days, I got a bunch of tickets to give away. We're giving a pair of tickets away during the nine o'clock hour each day for the next several days. I have uh, I saw Pink Floyd back in the you know back in the heyday. I saw Pink Floyd back in the seventies. I've never seen Roger Waters in concert though. Sounds like it's going to be an absolutely tremendous show. We will give you your opportunity to win, I, I promise. Also, let me invite you to go to WTMJ.com um, every day. For example, we start off my show with the three big things. We post that to give you a little bit of a head start, and actually we've got links to the different stories, including some of the other things we're going to be talking about, most notably uh, the story I just can't wait to get to, 10.05 um, as part of our Dealer's Choice segment. It's the end of High Five Fridays. I will explain it to you. It's an actually just, again, one of these mind-blowing sort of stories. Also, when you're at WTMJ.com, if you look, there's a special whole page that we now have. Um, it, it's the mobile app page. You can download the podcast of this show and of Sports Central, and I know a lot of people are doing it. I appreciate it. But we've also got podcasts from a number of other people, interested, some of from the world of sports and, and some not, just Voices that you do not hear on the radio, and uh, it's it's. I know a lot of people spend a lot of time developing the podcast page, so I encourage you to check it out. Like I say, you can download this podcast, podcast of this show, on a daily basis. Okay, big thing number three: Republican congressmen and women are coming back into their districts, and they are conducting town hall meetings. Now, normally, town hall meetings are pretty dull affairs. You know, the congressman goes out to, I don't know, the local library, and maybe like 15 people show up, and, you know, they answer different questions stuff. They, they, they tend to be deadly dull affairs, and as a general rule, I think tend not to be extremely well attended. That has not 
been the way it's been playing out over the course of the last few weeks. What's been happening to Republican congressmen all across the country is they go home into their district, they have the town hall meeting, and the town hall meeting is packed by anti-Trump advocates who scream and shout and take on the, the congressman, yell at them. You know, they're, they're angry, they're mad at this, mad at that, mad at the other thing. They don't like Donald Trump. The vast majority of the people who show up at these things probably didn't vote for Trump and certainly probably didn't vote for the congressman either. So this is the these are the loyal oppositions, uh, the loyal opposition, so to speak. But they're storming these town hall meetings. And, of course, it gets all sorts of attention. The TV cameras show up and they show all the people and they're angry and they're yelling and they're holding up the signs that say disagree and they're shouting down the local congressman. And so some of the congressmen are now deciding, okay, you know, how am I going to handle this moving forward? You know, we're going to continue to ta- hold the town halls if they're just going to turn into these shouting matches. And are these really, is this representative really of the majority of, of the constituents? Or is this just the, the angry minority who is showing up and inventing? So, um, yesterday, President Trump takes to Twitter, and he decides that he is going to weigh in at all this unrest that's being seen at these town hall events. And here's what he says. The so-called angry crowds in home districts of some Republicans are actually, in numerous cases, planned out by liberal activists. Sad. All right? So, now, I I don't know. Um, Some people might say that that's not true, but I think... I don't. I do not. You will never convince me that these are spontaneous things. These are these are liberal activists. In many cases, it's organized activists that show up to try to advance the agenda. But he, Trump says the so-called angry crowds in home districts of some Republicans are actually, in numerous cases, planned out by liberal activists. Sad, and of course, this then drives those liberal activists just completely and totally bonkers. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty eight hundred eight seven seven one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll free talk line. Okay, big thing number three: Are people in these local communities are they really that angry with their elected officials? Does this represent a majority position, or is this the angry minority who's deciding to scream and show up and vent? God bless them, but. Do we need to listen to that? Is this really representative of where most people are? When Jim Sensenbrenner holds a town hall and a bunch of people walk in and, okay, maybe it's like 90% of the folks disagree with Sensenbrenner's positions, for example, and is that really representative of where overall the constituency is? Or is this just, again, another one of these examples of the angry activists that have decided, you know, we're going to stage all these different protests we're going to yell, we're going to scream, but not reflective of where the majority of people are. 414-799-1620, That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. All right, so what do you think about this? Um, is this a situation where showing up and shouting down activists and uh, shouting down politicians, is this really reflective of where people are? Katie on the east side. Katie, you're first. Good morning. Uh, good morning, uh, Jeff. Thanks for taking sure. the call. Just turned up. My thought was, as I told your producer, um, the yes, uh, well, when um, 
I don't think screaming gets anyone anywhere. But on the other hand, after Obama was elected, there were a lot of people that were probably organized from the uh, conservative Tea Party movement that went to the uh, their leaders in their home states or their home districts and screamed and yelled. I, so see, I don't remember not, that at all. Kate. I, I mean, I, now I, I mean, I, I don't I, remember. I don't remember Tea Party activists. Taking over town halls being conduct being held by Democratic congressmen, for example, and and shouting them down. Now, am, am I going to say it never happened? No, but I don't think I certainly don't remember a widespread phenomena like like this. This organized activity. Let's pack all these rooms and, and let's try to shout down the politicians. I'm a little surprised, Jeff, because you're a very well-read person, and. You know, a lot of what's happening is people just taking their, you know, what they would say was the Tea Party playbook and making their their uh, feelings known. Um, well, see, I mean, and I remember, Katie, I mean, thanks. For, I mean, I remember, I mean, I remember Tea Party events. I remember thousands and thousands of people showing up at fairgrounds and, you know, and, and various people speaking. I, I remember that. I do not remember organized efforts and you know, and and maybe people will like show me all sorts of newspaper. I don't remember seeing stories in the New York Times, in the Washington Post, in USA Today. I don't remember stories about how Tea Party activists would essentially take over town halls, um, you know, shouting and, and yelling and denouncing their, their elected representatives. Now, were, were there big, incredibly popular Tea Party events? Yes. If you want to use a parallel. I think maybe you could say that some of the the protest movement that's out there now, the the let let's march for the the day without immigrants or let's have the women's march, that I think you can argue might be a, a left wing version of the Tea Party. I, I think, although I mean I don't remember the Tea Party in general. More like those were more like rallies as opposed to the the big marches. But if you want to see the parallel, I get that this idea that we're going to like take over the the town halls. I do not remember Tea Party activists doing that. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure, as a general rule, that did not that did not end up happening. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Dave in Bayview. Dave, you're on six twenty WTMJ. I was just going to say that the easiest way to solve that problem is you have to show your driver's license if you attend a town hall meeting. In theory, the elected officials represent certain geographical districts, and the people who they are responsible to are the voters in that district. So if you want to get professional complainers that drive from site to site to site, that can be eliminated. Just show your driver's license at the door. If you don't live in that area, hey, you can't say anything. So what you would say is that if you're outside if you're outside of the district, so if you live in Jim Sensenbrenner's district, that's fine. But otherwise, if you're driving in from Madison, for example, um, no go. Exactly. What's the difference between that? A, a Sensenbrenner is a congressman or a... Uh, a mayor of the city or an uh, elected official, any elected official. I mean, if you want to get down to it, if you, uh, like uh, Tammy Baldwin running for state or senator, right. uh, everybody who lives in the state should attend her meetings. Well, right, but, but she, I, mean, I think you have an interesting point. I mean, it would, I would be curious to know. It was sort of like if you go back and you remember Act 10, I, I was always curious as to, uh, of all the protesters that, that stormed the Capitol, you know how many were how many were Wisconsin residents? How many were people that would have been affected by Act Ten versus how many were people that were brought in 
from out of state to go ahead and to you know act up and you know to, to show the protest. Now, I, I just I, it was all would have been interesting to me. Was it was it fifty fifty? Was it seventy thirty in state versus out of state? It would be interesting to know of the people that are showing up at these different town halls. You know how many people are actually from a particular district? And look, I think people have the right to protest. Although, what I'm having trouble with is whether or not the people who are protesting, is this representative of of anything other than the fact that you've got a, a relatively small group of people who are really, really angry? And I appreciate that there's a relatively small group of people who are very, very angry. But when, all right, if Paul Ryan has a, a town hall and you have 80% of the people who are there holding up signs, disagreeing and yelling and screaming or doing whatever, is that... Is that representative of the fact that Ryan really doesn't have the support of 80% of his district? Which you certainly, I mean, you have these elections. Uh, elections do matter. Just saying. In any event, uh, these town halls will continue to, I think, be controversial at least for a little while because this is one of the other targets as as the left tries to decide where are we going to focus our attention. And right now it's protest. We're going to have a protest du jour. So-and-so is having a town hall. Let's Let's flood it. And let's try to show that we don't like it. Well, that's fine. I mean, and I understand there's people who don't like what's going on. But the question becomes, you know, how representative are those people really? And maybe we won't fully know the answer until we have an election two years from now. Coming up next, an assault on American values, or so some say. Stick around. We don't need no education. We don't need no thought control. It's 9.35, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, the first pair of tickets we have to give away to Roger Waters, the show coming on July 29th at the BMO Harris-Bradley Center, goes to Jeff in Wauwatosa. Keep listening, because actually, um, for the balance of this week and most of next week, during the nine o'clock hour, I will have another each. I will have a pair of tickets to give away each day. So, and keep listening. If you didn't win today, lots of chances to win. I have no doubt that's going to be a great show. Like I said, I I, I saw Pink Floyd back in the seventies, and um, the chance to see Roger Waters. What a what a tremendous thing! Because he was he was the brains. He was the one of the driving creative forces behind Pink Floyd. And I tell you, that's absolutely outstanding. It is nine thirty six. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. Okay. Um. The Trump administration has announced that they are going to be, it is going to be tightening the rules on immigration. We talked a little bit about this yesterday. There are about 11 million people who are in this country illegally right now. About 66% of those have lived in the U.S. for at least a decade. That's the estimate. Um... About 8 million are in the labor force, and most, 60%, these are the estimates, 60% of that 11.1 million live in six states, California, Texas, Florida, New York, New Jersey, and Illinois. 52% are originally from Mexico. So, that, that again, these are, these are estimates, and maybe the percentage is a couple points off one way or the other, but a little more than half of that 11 million people come from Mexico. Right. Donald Trump has announced a tightened in immigration policy. They're going to hire more border agents. They're going to hire more judges. 
they've changed the policies to make it easier to deport people. In other words, uh, for example, if somebody comes into the country from, say, Mexico now, gets stopped at the border, and they say, hey, we're looking for sanctuary or whatever, they, they, they're, they're allowed to stay in the country until they can be processed and, and sent back. And in many cases, that means they, they don't get sent back. They're going to change that policy. They're going to say, no, if we catch somebody and they're coming in, we're just going to turn around and we're going to send them back, you know, right away. We're not going to let them come into the country. Things, things like that. They have also said to immigration officials, hey, we want you, if you come into contact with people who are in this country illegally, you know, we want you to enforce the law. We, we want you to start, you know, the deportation procedures. We would prefer, we want you to really concentrate on identifying those people who are in this country illegally and have criminal records. But nevertheless, if you come into contact with people that are in this country illegally, period, we don't expect you to turn a blind eye to it, and we want you to enforce the law. Now, reasonable people can agree as to whether that's a valid policy or not. I appreciate that it's very, very difficult to figure out how you're, you're going to do this. And the idea of going out and doing roundups and trying to grab all 11 million people at once, that's just not going to happen. It's, it's just not going to happen. It's not realistic. But at the same time, if people come into contact with immigration officials, can you really expect them not to follow their law and, and not to do their job? Also, and I've talked about this before, one of the big pictures is when, when I look at the, the, the anti-Trump, the, the pro-immigration movement, what the movement is really calling for, and they don't get called out by the mainstream media, they are calling for open borders. The argument and the purpose behind this whole like day without immigrants day is, number one, you should not be enforcing immigration laws against people who are in this country illegally. Don't deport anybody. And number two, don't build a wall. Don't stop people from coming into this country. That that's that at, at, at its heart is what this immigration movement is all about right now. Open borders. Now, there's no country in the world, I think, outside of maybe some third world countries that does not enforce its borders, that just simply allows people to come in. Now, let's put aside the European Union that has different agreements as to you know, wh- where you can move within the European Union. But in general, there's no country in the world that simply allows open borders. But yet that, I think, is what this this whole movement is about. Well, anyhow, that's, you know, Trump is saying, hey, I'm going to enforce the law. New York Times, editorial today. Mr. Trump's deportation force prepares an assault on American values. Um, then it talks about, again, what the policy is going to be. Then the New York Times says, um, all right, this this program is a danger to due process. Um, it talks about how this idea of, of sending people back is an assault on American values, and it reflects it reflects how people should be frightened by Donald Trump's nativism. Um, everybody who, besides just immigrants. Every American who believes that the country is or should be committed to sensible, proportionate application of laws, welcoming to immigrants and respectful of facts, should be offended by this, quote, unquote, assault on American values. All right, let's open up the phone lines, 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. I appreciate, again, that 
it's very, very difficult to figure out what do you do with 11 million people who've been in this country, many of whom have been here you know, more than a decade. I, I understand it is difficult. But in saying we are going to enforce laws with regard to immigration, is that really an assault on American values? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. Back to discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 945, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. By now, we know the changes Major League Baseball has proposed to make the game what they believe is more fan-friendly. The Players Association disagrees and isn't backing down. But will it even matter in the long run? Greg Matzik examines Sports Central, 707 this evening. All right, uh, New York Times has this big piece out today talking about how the, the Trump deportation force where he's talking about hey we're actually going to enforce the laws how that is an assault on american values is, is that is that really the, the case i mean have we gotten to this point in this country where if we decide to enforce immigration laws if we decide to say hey we're not going to let people come into this country illegally or if we catch you and you're in this country illegally, we're going to send you back. Is that an assault on American values? Are we really at a point where open borders are the answer? Ken in Milwaukee. Ken, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Yeah, good morning. Hey, Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. I, I got a question here. Now, it was 15 years ago, maybe 20, I don't remember, the big amnesty where anybody that was an illegal, okay, we're going to take them in. This is the last time it's ever going to happen. We'll take these people in, and then we're going to get tough on on immigration. Yep. What happened? Here we are again with 11 million more illegal immigrants in this yep. country, and it's just so wrong. Well, and, it, and of course, one of the staggering things, like I said, I was looking at these numbers. One of the staggering things to me is of that 11 million, they estimate that, 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 all, that 66% have been in this country more than 10 years. So, I mean, this, this problem we are dealing with, Ken, like you're referring to, this is not... This has been happening for years and years. I mean, we're, we, we have, and, and unless we figure out a way to stop more people from coming in, it's going to continue to get worse unless we simply want to say, who cares? Come on in. Let's open up the borders to everyone. Yeah. Well, I agree. I agree. It's, it should have been addressed. Right. Because it's only getting worse. Yeah. It's just getting worse and worse. We finally have a president who is going to do, do something. Right. Enforce the laws. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thanks. Now, again, if, if I, I don't have, I don't think people who have come into this country legally should, illegally, should be on a path to citizenship. I, I don't. At the same time, you know, when you have somebody who's been in this country for 20 years, who's part of the workforce, who now has two children, for example, that were born in the United States, so they're citizens by virtue of being born in the United States, I, I I do think that there needs to be we have to figure out some mechanism for allowing them to legally get back into the United States. And, and here here is part of the problem. If you have come into this country illegally and you you leave right now, it is almost impossible to get back in. Once you've made that decision to c- come in illegally and set up residence, if you're deported or even if you voluntarily self-deport, your chances of being able to actually then get a green card or a visa and come back in are slim to none. I would, I would advocate, you know, look, re-looking at that law 
with the idea being, all right, if you're willing to essentially self-deport, that you have a mechanism for being able to come back in and, and do it legally. I would be in favor of something like that because I do think this is a country that is founded on this is a country that's obviously founded on immigrants. This is a country that I, I think needs to be opening uh, with regard to, I mean, people coming in. But at the same time, we need to control our borders. You just simply cannot say we're going to ignore these laws and we're going to allow anybody to come in from anywhere. The strain that is put on social service systems by doing that is simply overwhelming. So you need to come up with a policy of this. But this idea that it's somehow you know, an assault on American values – to say that we are going to enforce the law. I mean, give me a break, because I will tell you, my guess is that if I were to, I don't know, pick a country, Spain, Italy, Great Britain, Australia, New Zealand, you name it, that if I were to go to that country, come in illegally, set up residence, once they found out, my guess is I would be sent back to the United States, regardless of how long that I had been there. So... I think we have to find the appropriate balance. But this hysterical rhetoric. Now, if I was advising President Trump, I would again advise him that I think you need to concentrate first and foremost on the people who are in this country illegally who are causing the problems. That's where my emphasis would be. But at the same time, I don't see how you can just simply turn a blind eye. I don't see how you can pick and choose. Gee, we found out, you know, X people are in this country illegally, so um, we're going to go after them. But other people in this country illegally, we're going to say, okay, I just don't think you can do that. Just saying. It is 9.50. Hey, coming up in about 15 minutes is one of my favorite stories of the day. I call it, it's our dealer's choice segment, the end of High Five Fridays. You cannot make this stuff up. Stick around. It's 953, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. You already know the news. Now hear what they've got to say about it. Steve Scafidi and Eric Bilstadt bring you the day's top stories with their take. Don't miss the debut of the all-new Scafidi and Bilstadt show. It is Tuesday. It's coming Tuesday at noon. I think they're going to do just an absolutely great job. Okay, I'm about to go where angels fear to tread. Because I understand that some of you will disagree with me on this. Measles was essentially eliminated in the United States more than 15 years ago. We, we eliminated measles. But measles, highly contagious disease, is making a return. Why is it making a return? Because more and more parents are making the decision to not have their children vaccinated for measles. And so more and more children are, are getting sick um, with, with measles because you've got these kids that are unvaccinated. And th- this anti-vaccination movement, which candidly, I would say it's based on junk science, but it's it's not even junk science. There's these completely discredited studies that was a study that was out there that linked vaccines to autism. And it, it, it's just it's BS. But people you know buy into that. It used to be in that the typically you had to have your kid vaccinated. But now many states allow you to skip a vaccination because of medical reasons, obviously, if, if giving the vaccine would make the child sick, if they don't have a tolerance for it, religious reasons or personal choice. And of the parents who opt out of vaccines, the vast majority act out uh, opt out based on personal choice. They don't want their kids to be vaccinated. 
one of the concerns that they have that is out there now is that um, President Trump has embraced in the past some of the more wacky theories linking vaccines to autism. And this is energizing the, the whole anti-vaccine movement. And it's scaring the you-know-what out of a lot of school districts and a lot of doctors. And they're afraid that, hey, you know, if this is going to be what happens now, and you get this attitude that, okay, we vaccines should be optional, don't worry about it, decide that what you're going to do is you're going to find that a number of these childhood diseases, starting with measles, that we, we had eradicated, that, that we had won the battle against, they are going to be coming back as more and more parents simply make the decision that, okay, well, I'm, I'm not going to have my child vaccinated. And, of course, that is a huge risk. You might say, well, okay, if your kid is vaccinated, what is the fear? Why are you worried about it? Well, there, there's some people who, who can't have vaccinated. What if you're too young? I mean, what if you've got a, a child that's, you know, six months old, for example, and they're in a daycare, and they're exposed to other kids who um, aren't vaccinated who get the measles. Your child, your baby, your infant's too young to be vaccinated, so they get the measles. And, okay, maybe for many people it's a routine childhood disease, but for other people it's a problem. What about children, for example, who, because of medical reasons, can't be vaccinated? Because of medical reasons, they, they can't tolerate it. So they're in a classroom setting, they're in a school setting, with kids who are voluntarily, by their parents' choice, not vaccinated, they, those kids get the measles and they pass it on to the other kids. I guess I look at this entire thing, and I recognize that you might disagree with me on this, but to me, this is one of those situations where absent solid medical evidence that your child can't, because of whatever, com- compromised immune system, whatever, that your child can't tolerate a particular vaccine, I, I think this is a situation where everybody should be vaccinated. It's that whole concept of the herd mentality. And I guess it is scary to me that you have diseases which were eradicated that are now making a return simply based on parents' personal choice to expose their children to these diseases and to expose other people's children to those diseases as well. And I think reasonable people can say, all right, well, Maybe maybe the schedule that they give these vaccines, maybe that needs to be altered. And maybe the concern is that uh, kids are getting too many, too much of a particular vaccine or too many vaccines at once or too many vaccines over a, a too short period of time. But th- this idea, to me, making the decision not to have not to have your children vaccinated is a lot like making the decision to allow, allow your kids to ride in cars without wearing seatbelts. It's just a decision which, in all due respect, makes no sense. And one of the things that does a little bit worry me about some of the things that are coming out of Washington now is this whole concept that maybe maybe the president is going to embrace this anti-vaccine movement, which I think from a perspective of public health would be really, really, really scary. Ten o 
608. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, a quick reminder, check out our podcast page. Go to WTMJ.com. You'll see a mobile app. You can download podcasts of this show, of Sports Central, and also podcasts of a number of other voices that you don't hear every day on the radio. It's very, very interesting. Check that out. All right. This is the segment every day. I, I call it dealer's choice, which to me means it's not necessarily the most significant topic of the day, but it might be the most talkable one. And it's something that just it interests me on a daily basis. Today, it's the end of High Five Fridays. Now, you might say, what is High Five Friday? I don't get it. Well, well here's here's the deal. Um, Northampton, Massachusetts, various elementary schools, starting last year, once a week, Every Friday, police officers would be at the elementary schools lining the sidewalks to deliver high fives and encouragement to the students who came in. This was sort of like a community building process. The cops would go out. They would be outside or in some cases like inside the grade schools. And what they would do is they would stand there and they would talk to the kids and they would high five them. High five Fridays. It was part of what they called this, again, trust-building program. It was intended to show children that police officers are not scary men and women that they might have heard about or seen on television. Parents overwhelmingly supported the program. And this was, hey, the police officers are your friends. Last month, the city's police chief started hearing from a small number of parents who said, We don't want to do this. We do not think you should be doing this. We are uncomfortable with the idea that the officers are going to be present and interacting with the kids. As a result of the complaints of a handful of the parents, the school district superintendent decided last week to scrap the program. This is what he said. Certainly, we do not want to have our officers at a school and have kids, even if it's a handful of kids, be traumatized and have a negative experience with our officers. That's the opposite of the goal that we were trying to accomplish. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. So as part of community outreach, the local school district says, all right, we're going to do it, go into partnership with the police. The police are going to be there on Fridays. They're going to interact with the kids. They're going to give them encouragement. We're going to do high fives. It's going to sort of demystify the police. We're going to show them that the police are not the enemy. They're going to be there to encourage them, all right? Most parents like it. handful of parents start whining, saying, well, don't, don't you realize this is just terrible because, you know, there this is – you know, in our in our household, we apparently must view the police as an occupying force, and this is terrible. And we don't want our children to be traumatized by interacting with the police, even in this setting. And the school superintendent gives in to the handful of parents that object to this. 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. So what do you think? Should the school district have done away with High Five Friday, a chance for kids to interact in a positive fashion with the police, or do these parents have a point? The idea being, well, you know, all right, we're scared of the police. We want to teach our children. We don't like the fact that the police are there. All right, 
Should the school district have given in? And broader picture, what do you think about the whole notion of High Five Friday or something similar to that, a chance for kids to interact in a positive way with the police? Should more departments, agencies, school districts be doing this? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620 is our number. It's 1015, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The new director of the Milwaukee Art Museum has big plans for the local landmark. Dr. Marcel Poldnick looks ahead to what's next for the museum on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Tune in at 321 today. Okay, if you're just tuning in, High Five Friday, um, this elementary school, series of elementary schools in Massachusetts, what they did is they it did community outreach. They would invite police officers on Friday to be at the school at the start. When the kids come in, the cops would high-five them. They would give them encouragement. Lots of people liked it. A handful of parents didn't and said, hey, we, we've got we to gotta stop this. We think this is terrible. We believe um, not the police are not everybody's police. And some of the students said that uh, their children had difficult times with the police, and they thought it was traumatizing to have the cops in the schools. The school has decided, okay, we don't want to traumatize anybody, so we're going to pull the kids out. 414-799-1620. Tammy in Germantown. Tammy, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Uh, good morning. Um, I think what the school district did was really kind of dumb. All they had to do is a simple, um, like a, what they do in the growth and development program, essentially, how they have a signature form and you have the parents opt out if they don't want the child to participate in the program. Having the police in the elementary schools is wonderful. I wish they had that option here at our school. Let, let me. I, it's okay, Tim. I, I agree with your obviously with the bottom line conclusion. But let's let me talk about opt out. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, really? I mean, I guess. See, I understand opt out for sex ed. <laughs> if you think mm-hmm. if you think that if you think your kid the, the the if you don't if you think your kid you know you don't want to be taught him or her being taught about what, but should people? really even be able to opt out of of positive interactions with the police? I mean, what, what does that say about the parents that they don't want, that they wouldn't let their, their kids be able to be high-fived by a police officer? Is that what we really want to be teaching kids? No, but it, at least the children who are able to participate in this program would be able to. Right. And those, those parents that are supposedly being traumatized right. by this, then those children don't have to participate in the program. and. Other children would benefit from it. Yeah, no, and I get thanks. I mean, I see. I understand. I mean, I, I, I get it. I, I understand that by opting out, you don't have to discontinue the entire program. And I guess, given if the only choice is continuing it or discontinuing it its entirety, maybe the opt out. But my my problem with that is, what who in their right mind, what sort of parents would quote unquote opt out of an ability to have a positive interaction with the police? To me. That's an indication that the parents have a major league problem if they don't if they don't trust the police enough to go into a school setting and be able to get some encouraging talk. They're the ones that are setting their children up for failure. And that's why, to me, if I were the superintendent, just because you've got a squeaky wheel doesn't mean that that squeaky wheel always needs the grease. 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Al in South Milwaukee. Al, you're in 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning, Charlie. I totally agree Jeff, with Jeff, Charlie, Charlie is retired. 
Oh, Charlie oh, is retired, but I'm glad I'm to have. Who, Char, Charlie is probably like rolling over, going, "Hey, I get to sleep for another hour. God bless him; he's deserved it." <laughs> what do you yeah, think? I'm, I'm sorry. About, That's fine. No problem. It just, it just, it makes my hair stand up in the back of my head about these parents that you, you mentioned that they don't want to participate. If they don't want their kids to participate, they don't have to shake their hand or whatever the whatever right. the activity is. I mean. That superintendent making that decision, he's the one that should be talked to by well, uh, somebody else, you know, above him for making that kind of decision. And the parents that want the thing, they should be talking to him and calling him, obviously, you know, voicing their opinion instead of going with a minority. That's the problem in this country nowadays. The it, squeaky well, wheel should it, not be greased. Right, right, exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at one of these stories about this, and there, there's some, they quote one parent, Gina something or other, who shows up at a community meeting and says, the program had good intentions, but was ill-considered, tone-deaf, and potentially damaging. Al, in what alternative reality is it potentially no, danger, damaging that a kid shows up and you have a smiling police officer who high-fives him and says, have a good day, study hard? How in how in the world could that be damaging to anybody? Yeah, I just the parents, right. the parents are stupid, first of all. And I can say the, the parents that are in the majority... Should right. be talking to that superintendent for making that stupid decision. I, I, I know. Thanks. So. I mean, I, I I agree. And see that you know the point you were making about the squeaky wheels. The one I say all the time. Sometimes you know you just let the squeaky wheel squeak. Ah, it's fine. It's squeaking. It's a little bit annoying, but ultimately it's going to work itself out. Amy in Wauwatosa. Amy, good morning. You're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. What do you think? Um, Potentially think damaging, ill-considered, no. tone deaf. Really? No, no, not at all. I have twins that were raised in the Wauwatosa school system, and every encounter that we had with the Wauwatosa police was very positive. I mean, my girls acted up. They're 27 now, <laughs> and they they were, the police were always wonderful to us, so they they respect the police. They understand what their, their role is, and um, anytime that you can have a, an experience yeah. with police officers that's positive is a great thing. I mean, we have a terrible situation with police and 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 you know citizens and it this is a this is a great idea to to bridge that gap and it, it, it I wish we had it here. Well, see, you know, Amy, one of the things that I that you know the old Dare program. I don't even know if they still do the Dare program, Dare, but Dare. They, but but I mean, I won the Dare contest. Yeah, well, see, I thought I always thought that was great because again. The reality is most of us don't come into contact, unless you get stopped for a traffic ticket, you know, um, you, you just, you don't come into contact with police officers on a regular basis. And anything you can do to demystify that, and if kids are watching this news and you're hearing all the controversies going around about the police and stuff, if you have a chance to up close and personal in a positive setting, come into contact with some of your local police officers, what parent in their right mind would not want to take that opportunity? I, I can't fathom any instance where a parent wouldn't want that. This is not prayer in school. This is, this is it's, it's not sex ed education. in school. Yeah, it's, no, it's none of that. It's, these are these these men and women that are out to protect us need our respect and they and they they need support yeah. and and especially with children who are forming their. Right. Their views. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, you don't I, need to be I, you don't need to be afraid of the police officer. Remember no. when that nice police officer he or she was there, you know, high fiving you and giving you encouragement. It demystifies that whole thing. To me, this absolutely. is one of the great community outreach programs that you could develop. I, yeah. I agree a hundred percent with you, Jeff. And yeah. I I can't I can't <laughs> I can't think of one 
reason or instance why someone wouldn't want that in their schools and want their children to be exposed to police. Right. No, at, thanks. At, no, at thanks. Exactly. Age. Right. In a, in a positive sort of way. I, I won't. I will not say the superintendent who gave in is an idiot. I will say that this, in my opinion, is an idiotic decision on the part of the superintendent. Kathy in Pewaukee. Kathy, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Yeah, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I guess my immediate reaction was that we hear constantly when there's disturbances that it's it's the youth that have a bad relationship with the police, and it's the police's fault because they're not cultivating this relationship. Right. And here you have an opportunity for young kids to get started with that that kind of you know friendship almost uh, you know positive environment with the police. It's the parents of the children that go to school that are apparently complaining, and, and quite frankly, from my perspective, they're the same people that are at these sites that are complaining about the bad relationship. Right. You can't have it both ways. No, and, you, you and can't. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, I was going to say, you, you can't. And to me, this is not a problem with the program. This is a problem with a handful of parents. And rather than doing away with the program or even allowing an opt-out, this is one where it's the parents that need the counseling, not not anybody else. They're the ones that have the issue. Could not agree more. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. High five Fridays. We've actually got a link. It, I understand sometimes when I tell these stories, you're going, you're, you're just making this up, Jeff. This can't be the case. We, we've actually, go to WTMJ.com. I've got a link to the story. You can read all about it. Yes, they have done away with high five Fridays because a handful of people say it's damaging to the kids to interact with the police. No kidding. It's 1026, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The American Berkebiner is this weekend in northern Wisconsin. After days of record-breaking temperatures, Wisconsin Secretary of Tourism Stephanie Klett says the race will go on. Get the whole story on Wisconsin's Afternoon News at 3.51 today. If you haven't been listening to the weather, this is just a wild sort of winter. There is a monster winter storm which is bearing down on the Twin Cities and northern Wisconsin. Here in southeastern Wisconsin, it, it, the temperature is going to be such that we're, we're not going to get snow, and they're saying maybe an inch on Saturday night. But the, but the big event is going to be rain. They're predicting Friday. You know, we're looking at about an inch of rain, which my friend Brian Goddard over today's TMJ4 says that inch of rain, if it had been snow, we'd be looking at a foot of snow. But if you've got the, the advice is if you've got travel plans, for example, if you're planning to be out in the Twin Cities or travel through the Twin Cities on Friday, the advice is leave now because um, apparently Nebraska and South Dakota and Minnesota and the northern portion of Wisconsin going to get really whomped with with snow. So be aware of that and how that's going to play into the American Berkebiner. You know who who knows. Uh, part of the problem, of course, is regardless of whether it snows or not, you've got the whole issue with the ice and so. Whatever you do, whatever you do, um, avoid that that five-word phrase that I talk about that always gets you in trouble, hold my beer, watch this. So, for example, if you decide that you want to go out on Lake Michigan in your Cadillac Escalade and tow your ice shanty off, don't do it. Because what's going to happen? Well, all right, we've had an incredible... (laughs) That's still the videotape from this weekend. The guy saying, the guy who does it, if you hadn't seen it, goes out in his one-year-old Cadillac Escalade because he thought that the ice was getting too thin for his ice shanty. So he drives his Cadillac Escalade out onto the ice to tow the ice shanty off. Good thinking, pal. He says, I talked to a buddy of mine who's a snowmobiler. He said he thought the ice was okay. (laughs) All right, well, 
with all due respect, you can't fix stupid. So, I mean, this, this is the bottom line here. If, if and I don't know how it's going to play into effect for the Berkabiner, because like I say, even if you're, gotten, if you're getting all sorts of snow, that's not going to make the ice be any sort of thicker. So if, if you've got that urge to go out on thin ice, my advice would be just just, just say no. Um, um, interesting story. Um, Rory McIlroy, you know, a great golfer, probably one of the top five golfers in the world. He's getting all sorts of heat because he had the audacity to play golf with Donald Trump. Um, last weekend, you know, Donald Trump is down at his big resort in Florida, and apparently he's um, playing golf, and Rory McIlroy is one of the people that, that join him. So they take the pictures. Now Rory McIlroy, McIlroy is getting all this negative attention, all these people saying, we're not going to buy any of the products that he sells. We're going to just denounce him. We're going to show up. We're going to boo him because he had the audacity to play golf with the leader of the free world. Now, look, I, I understand that Donald Trump is controversial. I get all that. But at the same time, you know, for all these folks who just think that Trump is the devil, my advice would be, again, just, just lighten up, for goodness sakes. And if Rory wants to have a round of golf with the president, I don't think that that makes him you know, evil in and of itself. Lighten up. All right, coming up in just a couple minutes. It's good for Chicago. Will it be good for Milwaukee? Stick around. It's 1030. It is 1035. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Roger Waters coming to the BMO Harris Bradley Center July 29th. We are giving away tickets um, every day this week for the remainder of the week and most, if not all, of the days next week during the 9 o'clock hour of the show. So tune in for your chance to win. They have plenty of ups and downs. There's been plenty of ups and downs for the Milwaukee Bucks this year. Team President Peter Peter Fagan reflects on the first half of the season during Bucks Insiders. You can hear it now in the Wisconsin's Afternoon News section of WTMJ.com. So be sure to check that out. Okay. Chicago Public Schools have decided that they do not want to cooperate with immigration officials. Here, here's, here is the deal. The principals, now this this is the Chicago Public School, this is the superintendent issuing an order. Principals at the various schools are not to cooperate with federal immigration authorities. The order says principals are not to allow immigration authorities inside school buildings unless they have a criminal warrant. Um, the woman's name is, is Janice Jackson. And she said, look, there's community concern about this crackdown on immigration. So here's what happens. If an immigration officer, a law enforcement officer, shows up at a school, you are not to allow the immigration officer inside the school unless they have a warrant. So we're not going to be cooperating with any investigation that immigration authorities are going to do. If somebody shows up, what you do, if an immigration officer, this would be a law enforcement officer, shows up, you should tell them they cannot come in. They are to wait outside while the school reviews the matter with the law infor- with their law department. Also, the rule says that school principals, under no circumstances, should cooperate with these immigration agents don't show student records, don't answer questions, 
Don't don't essentially do anything. Do not cooperate. Don't let them on the premises unless they've got a warrant. So if you have an immigration officer that shows up at a school because they are conducting an investigation, the principals are being told under no circumstances cooperate with the federal law enforcement officials. All right, 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Should that be a uniform policy? Should MPS adopt that policy? Should Heartland adopt that policy? Should school districts around our community, around our listening area, adopt this? And if your local school board, school district, was faced with this decision, how should they answer it? If an immigration officer shows up at your kid's school, high school, grade school, whatever, for whatever reason, conducting an investigation or whatever, should the principal say, you're not coming in, we're not cooperating at all, unless you've got a warrant? Now, the only reason you're going to be able to get a warrant is, of course, if you've got probable cause to believe that some crime has been committed. But most of the times, my guess is people are going to, these immigration officers are showing up not to make arrests necessarily, but instead to, you know, conduct an investigation. Right? Should this be the policy in Milwaukee? Should it be the policy in our listening area? 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Let's start with Rick in New Berlin. Rick, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Good morning. Hi, Rick. Um, I, I frankly, uh, I don't think the federal government has any business going in and snooping around in kids' records without a warrant. I mean... Well, it might not necessarily be kids' records. It might be you've got some questions that you want to ask, I don't know, some some teachers, or it might just be you've got some questions you want to ask some administrators. You're, you're conducting an investigation to determine if something's going on. You don't think the feds should be able to do that? Mm, I, I, I just think it's got your open, it's, a, it's a slippery slope. They, you, if they just start going in arbitrarily and asking for this and that, I mean, where's, where, do, where do you draw the line? Well, okay, let me let me give you another example. Let's say um, let's say that uh, I'll go back to my former life. Let's say that the the Drug Enforcement Administration, the DEA, is investigating a, an alleged methamphetamine ring operating out of a high school. So the DE agents come over, they're going to conduct the investigation, they want to go in, they, they don't they they're just they don't know who's running it, they don't even know if it exists. They want to ask questions. So the federal agents, the DEA agents show up, um, should they not be allowed to come in? Should the school officials not cooperate with the investigation to determine if there's a meth ring operating out of the high school? Um I, I guess your head, Rick. You're hesitating on this, I am really? <laughs> because because a, meth, a methamphetamine ring is could be a life and death situation. Whereas if yeah. if there's someone in the country illegally, that's not necessarily a life and death situation. Okay. I suppose um, that that being said, if there's a murder investigation, um, then there then a warrant can be issued. Well, but I mean, but again, see, you're using um, okay. Well, thank, see, but the problem is. Okay, a, a criminal warrant. I mean, to, to get a to get a warrant, to, uh, to get a to an arrest warrant. Obviously, if they show up with an arrest warrant, yes, that that's going to be served. But that's but that's at the end of an investigation. This is. I mean, I don't know why they might be showing up at the school to conduct an investigation. But I mean, do we really want to draw this policy that 
we are going to not cooperate with law enforcement officials. And and if I mean that's why I ask if it's DEA that shows up, and I guess I'm a little troubled that Rick in New Berlin was even hesitating about this. I mean seriously, if if the authorities are investigating uh, a heroin ring operating out of a high school, and they show up to ask questions to try to facilitate their investigation, do you really, really seriously not not want the authorities cooperating? And is there a difference between enforcing immigration laws versus enforcing drug laws? 414-799-1620 is the number. We continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, hold on. Um, should, should our school districts around here adopt this policy? No cooperation with immigration officials unless there's a warrant. It's 1045, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Lisa in Mequon. Lisa, good morning. Hi, can you hear me? I can hear you fine. I can hear you, Lisa. Hi. Go ahead. Um, my son teaches at a Hispanic school in Milwaukee, and so many of those kids are so afraid. And the fact that these officers could come in without a warrant, without due process, to me is appalling. It's, um, it, so if, if an officer, well, what if, what if they're conducting an investigation into, I don't know, somebody, a, a student, for example, that was hit and killed by a, a drunk driver, and they're trying okay. to conduct an investigation to determine, you know, the legal status. Did the guy work at the school, for example, something like that? You, you don't think that they should be able to come in and ask questions about it? They should have a warrant. A warrant for what? Um. To talk to this person. Well, there's, there's there's no such warrant for that. There's you're, there's a, there's an arrest warrant. Right, well, there's a search warrant. They should, perhaps they should be conducting this at home, not at school. Okay, thank. I guess. Thank, well, I, to me, this this is the larger problem, then, Lisa. That if if there's oh these kids are going to be terrified. Well, I mean, immigration officials have just like the DEA people. They have responsibilities to conduct in, investigations, and I do not think it is appropriate for a public school facility, for example, to decide that we are not going to freely and fully cooperate with law enforcement agents as they are conducting their legal investigations. And you can say they need a warrant, but the truth is uh, you can get an arrest warrant if you've got probable cause, but you need to conduct an investigation before that. You can get a search warrant if you have probable cause to believe that there's I don't know, contraband in a locker or something. But generally speaking, when police are conducting investigations, which is designed to accumulate the information they need to get the warrant to enforce the law, generally we, we count on we count on institutions, in my opinion, particularly institutions where they're supported by public tax dollars, we count on them cooperating with, with law enforcement. Matt in West Bend. Matt, you're on 620 WTMJ. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, what do you think? I think it's a little ridiculous because, one, most schools have school resource officers already in the school, and, two, as a law enforcement officer myself, I've conducted investigations where I had to go and find people where, one, either they don't want to be met with because some kids aren't always the greatest, and going to schools, while it might not be the most optimal thing, was the most optimal thing we'd be dealing with them at their house but for Mm -hmm. whatever reason sometimes these investigations just don't go that way right because you can't find them at their house they're not at the house it's they're they're trying to duck you yeah whatever 
yep, sometimes they might be a runaway. That the school might be the only place where they have to go to get a meal. It's it's not always the best situation, but as law enforcement, you kind of have to deal with what you're. Well, also, I mean, my, my guess is there might be occasions, Matt, where you're conducting an investigation where you, you need to talk to school officials about potential targets of your, your investigation. You know, has, has Jeff been in school for the last three or four days? You know, where, where has he been? Th- those type of things that, again, it's part of your investigation. You need to obtain this information in order to do your job, right? Exactly. There's so many things that go into investigations. I've never done an investigation with anything as far as, you know, immigration, customs, as that goes, but just little investigations. I mean, whatever you can think of, there's a lot more that goes into it as opposed to go talk to this person, go talk to this person, somebody gets arrested and goes to jail. It takes a lot of time to build a case, gather all that information, so they do have that due process. And part of that due process is going going to places, sometimes schools, interviewing people, to collect all that information you have so that that way when we send up charges to a prosecutor, right. they have the best. Well, this idea of don't cooperate, to me, is just it's just a, a, appalling. Right. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Let's talk to, let's see, Chris on the east side. Chris, good morning. Good morning. What do you think? Well, I, I kind of tend to agree with the first two callers. I think the child or student is at school to learn, and that time should be dedicated to the learning process not to some sort of investigation as far as um, any agents taking okay. away from that let me, let me ask you, let me, let me give you a fact situation that I was given one of the callers. Let's say there is a report that there are a group of high school kids who are running a, a heroin, heroin ring out of the high school. Are you telling me seriously that you don't think agents should be able to go to the high school to interview students who might have information about the heroin ring? Yes, I think so, but we're not discussing that. We're discussing ICE agents. Okay, so so then you would make it. So you're making a distinction between That's what correct. types of criminal laws agents should be able to investigate. Some are some criminal well, what, laws are okay. Law? Some aren't. What criminal law are they investigating? Well, I don't know. I mean, I who, who, what so criminal law? What I mean, we can't we can't just assume. Well, it's a drug ring. No, if specifically if there's something ICE agents oh, 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 so, so, so are they're investigating people. In, in, yeah, okay. so they're investigating people who are in, let's say, in this country after being de- deported. So that crime you can't interview people on, but a drug ring you the, could interview people? The, I think the school and any person has the right to not answer questions. Well, that's not so the, the well, school, okay, it's not the question about a person having the right to answer questions. You think the school officials at a public school should have the right to say, we're not going to cooperate with law enforcement? They, they they also have they, the school makes a lot of rules and policies, huh? right? And so if one of the is is that well, no, you can't enter the school, and that's the policy. I don't think that any child or somebody should be questioned whether it's an investigation or not without some type of counsel. Well, that's that, again that that's a different thing. thing so, I mean that that's a different story. <laughs> okay, that 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 that's that's a different issue. The the idea of you know what juvenile confessions and what people's rights are. But let's assume for the sake of argument that the kid isn't even a target. You know, you're, they're, they're doing an investigation. And again, I, I could give you examples from the immigration thing, but it's just easier to concentrate on, on drugs because it might be more understandable. It just more, you know, people could get. All right, you, you, you've got, you got an investigation that there's people selling drugs in a high school. For example, you, you come in, 
You want to talk to students, not even necessarily students that are targets of the investigation. You want to interview students as to whether there is a drug ring operating out of the high school. Now, you mean to seriously tell me that people don't think that the police should be able to come in and conduct that sort of thing? Now, maybe you would say, okay, well, it's different if it's a drug ring. It's different if it's a murder investigation. It's different if it's sexual assault than it is from an immigration perspective. Okay, well, well, then do we really want schools that are supported by public tax dollars? Should they really be able to pick and choose which sort of criminal cases they're going to cooperate. Well, okay, before we let you conduct your investigation, Mr. Agent, you have to tell us exactly what it is that you're investigating so we can decide. Okay, it's a meth ring at our school. All right, fine, we're going to cooperate. It's, oh, you're you're investigating whether or not there's, I don't know, an operation designed to, somebody's printing false passports or or whatever it is. 414-799-1620, Let's talk to... uh, Barbara in Oconomowoc. Barbara, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. My question is more for clarification. It is my impression that the public education system is subsidized not only by the state, but by federal government for each and every individual student, yep. which means whether they're legal or illegally there. So how is it that the schools take it upon themselves not to work with the federal system because they are denying the federal access for the students that they are being reimbursed for for educating what's their risk and why aren't why aren't they being more compliant to the the federal system in general well see that's the barbara that that to me is the 64 million dollar question and that that comes that's that whole larger issue about sanctuary cities if if you're getting federal money and some of that federal money is being used to i don't know subsidize people who are in this country illegally how how can you to simply say we are not going to cooperate with the federal government and should that money be at, at risk? No, I mean, it's, see, that's it, it's a public school. It is a public facility. When did public officials be able to pick and choose which laws they want to choose to comply with and how they want to cooperate? It's ridiculous to me. Precisely. Now, think, now again, I look, I, I, I understand that I don't, frankly, I don't know how often this happens that you have immigration officials that are they're going to school. It is silly, in my opinion, though, to say, well, you need to have a warrant to talk to people. You don't get a warrant to talk to people. I mean, you get a warrant to arrest people. That's at the end of the investigation. You get a warrant to search things. But the way you get the information is you go and you talk people to people and you conduct this in these investigations. And I guess, you know, the, the, the bottom line here is, and I don't care whether it's Barack Obama that's the president or George Bush or whether it's Donald Trump, this idea that you can have local officials that decide what laws they are going to comply with and what laws they're not going to apply with comply with, that to me is the scary thing. It's ten fifty six, Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. Eleven oh nine, Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. I have to tell you, that story that the Journal Sentinel on JS Online is reporting at credit where credit is due, I, I, I went back and I reread it over the, over the, the break because I was thinking, this cannot be. This cannot really be happening. I have to have made a mistake. And I've made a mistake. I want to correct myself. But no, this is, this is, this is the way they are reporting it. I mean, it's just, it is so mind boggling to me. Now, maybe it's just because I work at a company 
where we have people that care about their jobs and do their jobs when it comes to managing money. There is a delightful woman who sits in one of these corner offices down there who keeps track of all the financial stuff that goes on around here. So if I submit an invoice that does not have all the I's dotted and T's crossed, I guarantee you there is more than a fair chance that it will be bounced back to me saying, no, no, you, you have, and, and I get it. I, I get it. You know, you want to make sure that, you know, if, if, if it's a company's money, you want to make sure that, you know, people are getting the dough that they're entitled to. But at the same time, you have to have these internal controls. I understand all that. Now, I'm trying to imagine, and Hondo is producing the show today and always, if there was a situation where, for some reason, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Scripps, when they put money into our accounts every two weeks, if they made a mistake... Now, I don't know about you. I, I generally have a rough idea as to what the, the payments are going to be. But, but let's say I, I don't, I don't know what's going on here. I, and so, you know, I don't, I don't keep track of how much in taxes is supposed to come out or whatever. So, so let's say they're putting too much money into your account. And they've been doing that for a year. Well, in the real world, including a lovely lady who sits at the end of the hall. I mean, I know exactly what would happen. There would be this conversation, Jeff, we have found out that we have been improperly calculating the amount of money that you've been getting paid. There's been a mistake that goes back the last year. Now, in the real world, it's not going to happen and go on for a year. But all right, it's, it's gone on. It has happened for a year. You have been paid too much money, right? Now, you would think, now let's say that that goes back to April of 2013, and they discover it in April of 2014. What, in fact, is going to to happen? Well, they're going to say, Jeff, we found out that we have paid you too much money. And so what we're going to do, number one, is we are going to adjust it moving forward. So we're not going to continue to make the same mistake we've made. And then the more difficult conversation is going to be, what do we do about the money that we have overpaid you? How how do we get that money back? And that raises all sorts of, you know, other issues. You know, how do you collect that back and how much is it or whatever? But the one thing I guarantee you, as certain as night follows day, is that when you find out, you know, in, in any reasonable world, when you find out that you have been making an overpayment to an employee, regardless of how you figure out how to get the dough back, you shut it off there. You do not continue to make that overpayment. But that's not apparently how it works in the Milwaukee County pension system because the the pension director, um, the retirement plan services director, allegedly notified of this mistake in April of 2014, continued, a- after it had been going on for a year, continued to allow the mistake to continue, did not correct it. And in May of 2016, um, apparently... The mistake, they then reminded um, the person of the error, but nothing was done at that time. So this was allowed to go on for years. And so now you've got an overpayment of $140,000 to the person getting the pensions. The issue is, hey, if they're not at fault, if they didn't know they were getting this improperly, can you collect the money from them, what should you do? Does the system have to eat it? How do you, how do you get it back? I mean, it's 
it's just it's just a mess. But at least according to the the story, this was an ongoing overpayment that went on for several years, even though the person in charge was informed of the mistake nearly three years ago. And again, to to his credit, County Executive Chris Abley has now fired that person. But how, how does this happen? How does this happen, and why does this only happen in government? That is the $64,000 question. Coming up next, Wisconsin lawmakers. Speaking of stuff that only seems to happen in government, this might be a bipartisan agreement on changes that need to be made with the DOT. We will talk about it. Stick around. 1114, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1117, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Uh, let's see. All vending machines should accept credit cards and don't block traffic when walking through the parking lots. What other laws need to be created? There ought to be a law. <laughs> Happens at 2.07 this afternoon on WTMJ Today. And just a quick note, next Tuesday is the official debut of Scafidi and Billstat, our, our new show that's going to be going in the noon to three slot. Steve Scafidi, the current, soon-to-be former mayor of Oak Creek, and, of course, Eric Billstat, uh, our news director. I think it's going to be outstanding. Give it a chance. I think they're going to do a really good job, um, so be sure to check that out. That formally debuts next Tuesday. All right. When when you buy a car, there are there are laws which say if you're going to finance a car, you have to be told what the cost of the financing is. If you if you refinance a house, you and it's been a long time since I purchased a house, but I assume it's probably the same. But if you refinance a house, you get a disclosure form that tells you what what the carrying cost is, what the interest cost is. And, and so you can you can see, all right. I'm 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 buying a house for a hundred thousand dollars. I'm refinancing a house for a hundred thousand dollars. I'm buying a car for forty thousand dollars. Whatever. Um, this is how much I'm paying down. This is how much I'm financing. This is the interest rate. Um, this is how much my monthly payments are going to be. And and this is going to be the interest charge. So again, you, know, you fill in the blank. If I buy the car for X amount of money, put X amount of money down. And I, I make the payment. So maybe I, I maybe I've bought the car for twenty five for forty thousand dollars. If you're buying a forty thousand dollar car, I'm financing thirty thousand dollars. If I pay it back over three years, actually the total cost is going to be thirty five grand. You know, it's just so you know exactly what the interest charges are going to be if you finance it and if you make the monthly payments. So th- there's no question you cannot be fooled. You know what that is. That's what we tell from a consumer perception standpoint. That's what we make car companies do. That's what we make, you know, loan companies do. You have to disclose those costs. When it comes to the Department of Transportation and Road Projects, though, you don't have to disclose that. And really interesting, there's, of course, the Department of Transportation is getting a lot of heat for. The word is lack of, the words are lack of transparency. Um, you know, new studies are out finding that the Department of Transportation has underestimated, and I put that in quotation marks, various highway projects around the state by more than $3 billion, in part by refusing to account for in- inflation. The, the whole idea that, you know, 
you, you don't pay for a project all at once. You know, you, you say, okay, we're going to do this project, but then it might take five years to complete. It might take 10 years to complete. And as time goes by, inflation kicks in, there's added costs, but that's never been dis- disclosed. The Department of Transportation would say, okay, this is a, this is a $10 million project. Well, it would be a $10 million project if you paid for it all up front in one particular payment. But that's not how we, we do it. You know, we, we stretch it out over time. And as a result, the costs in many cases go up dramatically. So the uh, Joint Legislative Audit Committee was having a hearing earlier this week. And what they're talking about is requiring that estimates more fully account for factors like inflation and things along those lines and be updated annually. Um, so these and these again on these ongoing road projects, people would then know okay what the present cost estimate of the project is, and then you know what the original um, cost was and why it's not on track. In other words, if it's good enough for the people that are lending you money to buy a car, if it's good enough for the people that are lending you money to refinance your house or, or to buy a house, shouldn't it be good enough for people that are I don't know, approving multi-million dollar road projects. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Your reaction. I mean, I, I guess I, I look at this and I, I think not only should this not be controversial, I think it's almost crazy that we haven't been doing this this all along. If you're going to have a capital improvement project and the capital improvement project is going to be scheduled out over a period of time, and you're trying to figure out how much it's going to cost the taxpayers, you know, shouldn't shouldn't the people who are bidding the job, shouldn't the people who are approving the job, shouldn't they be able be required to, I don't know, keep the costs in line, update these estimates annually, let us know if the project is on track, and let us know what the real cost of the project is going to be. 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. I mean, if it's good enough for the car finance companies, why shouldn't it be good enough for the DOT? We discuss next. 1123, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ. It's 1125, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Brewers have a new single-A affiliate, and it looks like it's going to be a long-term relationship. Our very own Matt Pauley takes a look in the Brewers Extra Inning podcast. Listen now on the WTMJ mobile app. Yeah, and check that out, because if you look at our, our podcast page, we podcast my show in its entirety every day. We do Sports Central as well. And then there's a number of other specialized podcasts, and I know lots of people are taking advantage of that. When I moved to this time slot, that was the big question. People, are you going to podcast the show? And um, I said, yeah, I I know that they're working on it. We've been podcasting it. Lots of people are downloading it, and that is very, very cool. All right. This is, look, I I believe that we need to continue to repair our roads in Wisconsin, and I believe that we need to continue to build roads if you want to. If you want to see this area grow and thrive and survive, if you want to see the state grow and thrive and survive, the key is that you've got to have good roadways. You've got to have good transportation. You need to be able to get people and goods between you know different parts of the state. And here in southeastern Wisconsin, we're a little bit spoiled. 
we complain about road conditions and we complain that, okay, stuff needs to be expanded and all, but there's other parts of the state where, where they really, they, they need road building. They need better roads to help move again goods between different parts of, of the state. The problem with all this is that it takes a while for projects to get built. And right now we're, we're told that there's this huge shortfall. We don't have enough revenue to be able to pay for the different projects that we've looked at. So there's this ongoing debate about where are you going to get the revenue? Is it going to be the gas tax? Are we going to put in toll roads? Are we going to borrow? You know, How are we going to do this? Part of, not the whole reason, but part of the reason that we are in this mess is that the Department of Transportation has done such a crummy job, with a capital C, crummy job of estimating what costs are going to be. And again, the phrase is lack of transparency that's out there. You have one project after another where it's being bid or it's being approved, and the people that are approving it and the people that are bidding it aren't aren't following sort of basic standards. They're not accounting for costs uh, due to inflation, for example. You know, they're just not keeping track of what the cost is going to be. Hey, if you completed this project today, this would be the cost. If you come in and you buy the car today, it's $40,000. Give me $40,000 in a cashier's check. The car is yours. All right, but you say, all right, well, I'm not going to pay for it all now. I'm going to extend the payments. I'm going to finance it over five years. Okay, well, then the cost of it isn't going to be $40,000. The cost of it, 45000 or whatever that number is going to be. Well, okay, you're told that. But that's not the way the DOT has been operating. And this is a bipartisan thing. I think you've got legislators, um, both Republicans and Democrats, who are looking at this and saying, we need a more honest form of budgeting. We want to know what stuff is going to cost realistically. We do not want to be surprised that we were told the project's going to cost $25 million, and now it turns out it's going to cost $40 million. We want to do honest budgeting because that then informs our planning. That tells us how much money we have to spend so we don't end up with these surprises. Uh, to me, the, the real question is how was this not allowed to, why was this not always the case, as opposed to, you know, now having to make some changes. Uh, the new Secretary of Transportation, uh, Dave Ross, he's saying that, you know, he understands that we need to change the culture at the, the DOT. Well, it's not, I understand he wasn't there when this happened, but the, the fact that the DOT underestimated highway project costs by more than three, B as in billion dollars, tells me that, yes, Yes, they do, in fact, need to change the culture. More importantly, they need to figure out a way to get it right. And if it requires a change in the law to make sure they get it right, I say amen. All right. Coming up right after the news, it's back whether you missed it or not. Stick around. It's 11.34, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. By now, we all know the changes Major League Baseball has proposed to make the game what they believe will make it more fan-friendly. The Players Association disagrees and isn't backing down, but will it even matter in the long run? Greg Matzik examines at 7.07 this evening. Be sure to tune in. Ever since I saw this story the other day, I've been... It's, it's funny how my mind works. I remember the first, and I think only time, 
that I ever had a bottle of Zima. Zima is, of course, the um, the, the sort of malt beverage, alcoholic malt, malt beverage project product that um, you know was rolled out by Miller Coors. It goes back. They first started making it in 1992. I don't think it was in Wisconsin then, and I'm, I'm trying to place it. I can't place it whether it was 93 or 94, but I remember sitting in a bar in the northwest part of the state with my friend Steve, and I, I just I can't remember why we were in this particular bar. I can't remember why why we were there. It might have if it was 94. It might have been when I was running for attorney general. Don't remember, but we're, we're in this bar and we're drinking beer, and the bartender. And I remember, for weird reasons, I remember this like it was yesterday, says, hey, we've got this new product that's out there. Do you want to try a bottle of, of the Zima? And you're, you, you can have it for free. So, I mean, you're in the bar. They, they offer you something for free. Well, who's going to say no? So that was the first and last time I, I had a, a Zima. I, I think it was... It was being marketed as an alternative to, I think they were going after female drinkers, and and it was kind of an alternative to beer, you know, something, I, I just, I mean, my recollection, it kind of tasted like like an alcoholic version of squirt, something like that. But, I mean, I, 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 I like I like beer, I, I like lots of liquors, Zima did nothing for me. So I had, I had that one bottle and then, you know, never bought it again. Um, Zima had its heyday in the... You know, mid to late nineties, and then, oh, about ten years or so, it, sales just just fell off the you know fell off the cliff, and it's it's just got bypassed by a lot of other stuff. Um, so nobody was buying or drinking Zima, but so they discontinued it. Well, the announcement was that uh, whether you want it or not, um, they're bringing it back. Um, you know, Miller Coors relaunching Zima, which again was discontinued about ten years ago. Um, their, their statement is, if you're one of the zillion fans who have missed Zima, the answer should be clear. Now, I, I, I appreciate, believe me, I appreciate hype, and I appreciate hyperbole. I, I don't, of all the different things that people might be clamoring for return of, I, I find it hard to believe that there's too many people, there might be somebody out there, I find it hard to believe that there's too many people out there who are waking up in the morning and saying, you know what? There's just not enough choices when it comes to alcoholic beverages. In between the heart, the ciders that are out there, and between the flavored this and the flavored that, and between all the beers, I just really wish that they would make Zima. Now, I do acknowledge that there are some things that I, I miss. I remember how excited I was, and I still to this day I'm happy that they brought back Schlitz. And every once in a while when I'm in a place and they have the, the Schlitz, which is the recipe from the 70s, I, I enjoy it. I am hoping, and I, I, I'm hoping that um, Ondecker, which used to be like Pabst's high-end beer, it was used to, it used to compete with Michelob. I guess they still make Michelob, but you very rarely see that too. But I, I used to love, I used to love the Ondecker beer. Um, they then, they ruined it. They, they changed the formula. They cheaped out and it, it I, I'd stopped drinking it, and ultimately it's disappeared. I am told there's rumors that they're going to bring back Ondecker, and if they do the right formula, it, it could be good. Of course, at the same time, it's been years and years, and my fear is I'm going to try it. I'm going to be really disappointed that it's not what I remembered it being, but I, I'm willing to try that. But, I mean, yeah, yes, I always say I'd love to have Ondecker. I, Zima, I don't care. But with the fact that Zima is being brought back, they are obviously trying to tie into this nostalgia, that there's something – People want it. There's zillions of people that wanted Zima, and now we have taken it away. 
Well, I don't, I don't want to talk about, you know, whether you miss Zima or not, although maybe you can work that in. I just don't think there's that many people out there who, who really miss it. But this does show that there is a huge issue of nostalgia. There are products, products that we all grew up with that have disappeared that we miss. So I thought, last segment of the program here, let's have a little bit of fun. I, I, a product that you can't get anymore or that it's almost impossible to find anymore in its original incarnation, a product that has gone by the wayside, and maybe it's maybe it's a food product, maybe it's a soda, I don't know, maybe it's clothing, whatever, something that you really wish they still made, 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Like I say, I, I kind of wish they still made the Ondecker beer that um, I grew up with, and maybe they will again. But a product that you miss that has disappeared, 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. And I'm already hearing from at least one Zima fan. It's 1140, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1143, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right, they're bringing, whether you want it or not, they're bringing Zima back. I, I've, Zima, of course, sort of an alcoholic squirt is how I would kind of describe it. But bringing it back, they're bringing it back. They're saying zillions of people missed Zima. I'm not sure. Uh, I'd love to see him bring, like, Ondecker back. But we're discussing products Something that you wish that they would bring back, something that you miss. Now, my producer, Ando, says, well, this will relate to the uh, older Gen X, the younger Gen Xers, Gen Xers and the millennials' ecto-cooler, which is like a high C tied in with, like, the, the Ghostbusters thing. Right? That was back for a while. We're not sure they still have that. Ecto-cooler. All right. Beats me. Um, Donna in Franklin. Donna, you're first. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff, and uh, welcome to the morning. Thank you. I'm enjoying, other than the fact that the alarm goes off at 5 a.m., otherwise I love everything about this. Okay. And I'm a morning person, too. You love lo- Zima. You love Zima. <laughs> okay. I love Zima. You're one of the I'm Zias and Zillions. Okay. I'm not a beer drinker. Okay. So I like Zima. Um, it was I, The heart of the thing that I have a hard time getting to is like a berry white, but Beer drinkers don't like Barry White. Zima was something that came out, and it it was something that I could get if I mm-hmm. went to a bar, right? And with other people, and they had Zima. Well, I the could socialize and have a cocktail. Well, the good news, Donna, is um, uh, there it, it will be back, and so I you know, know you will be able to I find. <laughs> well, there, they, they, okay, there, there you go. See, you got your wish. You got your wish. In your case, the product is, is coming back. 414-799-1620. Let's uh, start with Carrie in Waukesha. Carrie, good morning. You're in 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Okay, morning, what do you Jeff. miss? Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I miss bacon-thin crackers. It's yeah. not a beverage, but I miss bacon-thin oh. crackers. They used to got wheat thins. They got uh, sociables. They got that, but that was one of my favorite crackers, and we can't find them anywhere. Else. Uh, I like it. Yes. A matter of fact, um, I know... I. We used to have them around my house growing up all the time, and I know exactly what you mean. Matter of fact, you know, there is a Facebook page that's called Save. It says, Come Back Bacon Thins. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. So, so just so you know, Carrie, you are not alone. There's lots okay. of people that want to, No, I remember. Thank, I, I, we grew up. That's, you know, we always had crackers in the house, and those were, uh, that, that was it. Um, let's talk to Craig in Lowell. Craig, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Uh, three products, uh, M products, members only jackets, marathon candy bars, oh. 
and Mark's Big Boy Restaurant. Well, uh, oh, uh, marathon. Let, let, okay, Mark's Big Boy Restaurants. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, um, I love the Big Boy Sandwich. You know, in the there's a Marcus Theater here, the one out, the Majestic, I think is what it's called, in Waukesha. They they used to have the, the Big Boy Sandwiches. I don't think it's on the menu anymore. But I, it was like it was like going back to the 1970s with that thing. <laughs> no, Perfect. no, they, thanks. I, I'm with you. Marathon candy bars too. I was not a not a big candy eater, but uh, yeah. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Jonathan in Brookfield. Jonathan, good morning. You're on six twenty WTMJ. Well, good morning, Jeff. How you doing? I am well, thank you. Okay, the product that you miss. Is a Mrs. Howe's potato chips. Okay. Um, if anybody who grew up here back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s remembers Mrs. Howe's potato chips. It was a local company. Right. Best, best potato chips in the world. I think they went away someplace in the early 90s. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, I grew up here, and I'm just, I'm sure we, we had them at the time. They were, they were a lot better than what you get out there now. You're telling me. Yeah, they're the best potato chips ever made, and I really wish they'd bring them back. Bring back Mrs. Howells. Okay, thanks for the call. Um, Jerry in Bayview. Jerry, you're on 620 WTMJ. It's funny, but the previous caller just stole my thunder. <laughs> Mrs. Howell's potato chips. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, in the universe, they, they the, were... th- wait, the thousands of people that are, are, are were listening to us now, and, you know, all the people are calling in the jam phone lines, you're telling me that the two of you back-to-back, it's both Mrs. Howell's chips, huh? Well, not only that, back to back, I managed Mark's Big Boys for 11 years. <laughs> I had nine of them at one time. They, they, I made thousands of the Big Boy hamburgers. They are the best hamburger I, that you've ever had. It's your original double deck hamburger. I, I know you. I, I know. Thanks. I, I get it. I, I, I was so excited, like I said, for a while at the Marcus Theater because it was it was Mark's Big Boy Marcus. So I mean, they had the they had the Big Boy hamburger. Essentially, they weren't calling it that, but that's what it was. They had it on the menu. Last time I was out there at the restaurant at the theater, they they, they didn't. At least that was my recollection. They didn't. But I, yeah, I mean, it had Mark's Big Boy. That that it had it had the Big Macs just beat all to heck. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. 800-877-1620. Dave and Cudahy. Dave, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. Yeah, the thing I miss going back to the beers is, uh, I don't know if you recall Gentleman $1,000 beer. It had it was no. really a, a full-bodied beer, and it had a really creamy huh. head on it. Huh. Miller, took, Miller took it over, and they had the brand for a while, and then they just I'm going to have to ask my best friend Evan, who has an encyclopedic knowledge about beer, because I don't, I don't. I mean, I remember. I mean, I remember Gettleman, but I don't yeah, remember thousand yeah. dollar beer. Huh. All right. That, I'm, I'm making a note. I'm, I'm going to pass that on. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Linda in Menominee Falls. Linda, good morning. A product that you missed that's gone. Hi, Jeff. Hi. Uh, you need a female contribution to this discussion. <laughs> well, we had the first lady who wants Zima, you know. <laughs> she wants her Zima back. Okay. So, um, there was a shampoo in the 1970s. It was the original Clairol Herbal Essence shampoo. I remember the ads for it and stuff, sure. You do. Okay. But the bottle, if you remember, it was like a beautiful green color, the shampoo. Hmm. And there was a drawing of a hippie flower child <laughs> woman on it, and it just had a great scent to I, it. I know. I, I obviously I, I never used it, but I do remember the advertising. And now that you're talking about it, I I, I do remember the bottle. So it yeah. was really good. It, it was it was really good shampoo, huh? 
Yes, it was. I just love that scent. If I could get that back, I would be in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And you, I mean, it's been decades since that was on the market, probably, and you still yeah. remember it. Yes, I do. Oh, that's, <laughs> see, well, thanks for calling. Well, they're okay. If they can bring back Zima, maybe they can bring back Herbal Essence shampoo. Let's talk to. Uh, let's see, Michelle in Kenosha. Michelle, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Hi. Good morning. Um, good morning. I actually, I am another one of those Zima drinkers. I used to love Zima. <laughs> well, um, you're, you're get, so I get ready. I wouldn't mind having it back. But you know what's making it come back uh, at some of the TAs and Tetras is the Crystal Clear Pepsi. You know, I've never had Crystal Clear Pepsi. What? What's? Does it taste like Pepsi? You know, it it actually uh, tastes better than I thought because I remember it not having the greatest taste. But I don't know. Maybe they've made it better. But um, there's only a few places that are reselling it. But I think that was in the '80s. I remember the commercials. But yeah, um, yeah, the Crystal Clear Pepsi. Okay, I think I again. I, I don't. That's one I don't have a frame of reference on. Let's talk to Rick in Milwaukee. Rick, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Okay, here's the one thing that I miss the most, and it's, it came from Sears long ago. I used to work at Sears on Mitchell, okay. and it was the red and white salt-encrusted pistachios. They were delicious. You cannot find them anywhere right now, let alone even the, you know just a, a, a colored pistachio. They don't come with the salt-encrusted, and I had heard that it had to do with an Iran embargo because that's where they came from. Okay, wait, I'm, I'm still back at you bought the pistachios at Sears. <laughs> yeah, they had their little snack okay. area where they sold popcorn okay. and sandwiches and other nuts. Uh, they also sold these pistachios, okay. and they had the big cashews also. <laughs> oh, well, I love that. I mean, the big thing, I mean I'm, I'm down with the big cashew. I, I guess, okay, because I was trying to think, okay, he's buying pistachios at Sears, but I get it. Okay, I remember that. Let's talk to, um, let's see, um, 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 Anthony, who's calling us from Michigan. Anthony, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Anthony. Uh, clearly Canadian, <laughs> the sparkling water. I, I, you know, again, something I've, I've never had. When was, when was that big? It was in the 90s. Okay. Uh, I was telling uh, Hondo, every now and then you'll spot it in episodes of Seinfeld. Oh, really? Okay, clear. All right, I'll, I'll have to look. It had a very odd-shaped bottle. Okay. I never, um, again, I hadn't had that. Um, Renee writes, Special Export Light. You know, I remember, okay, Special Export, which was like the high-end old style. I, I remember, I mean, that when, when we would score Special Export when I was a kid, that was that was like the, the pinnacle if you were a beer drinker and stuff. And don't know that I remember Special Export Light, but I definitely remember Special Export. Uh, let's talk to... Joe in Watoma. Joe, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, Jeff. I wish they'd bring back the 1988 Volkswagen Caracas. <laughs> okay. Four cylinder engine, 40 miles per gallon. Yeah, that, that, was, that was your favorite car, huh? That was my first five speed car I drove. I still remember the thrill of getting out of an automatic like my Dodge Charger. And right. I got it back. I bought six of them after that. Uh, you bought six of them? Yeah, I used to drive from Watoma to Marmalac to work. And I used the Volkswagen Scirocco front-wheel drive. Got through snow all the time. Wow. That Scirocco was sure-footed. I miss it. You know, I miss, um, I've said this before, I think my favorite car 
it was a Honda Prelude. It was a 1980-something or other Honda Prelude, 86, I want to say. Uh, they subsequently changed the style, and they ruined it, and then you know people stopped buying it. But, man, I, I loved that car. John and McGuanago. John, you're at 620 WTMJ. Uh, the product I missed was uh, Johnson Cookie Company. Right. My, fa- my father used to go and buy, like, factory seconds from the Johnson Cookie Company. That's you know? exactly what I was going to yeah. say. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, my dad, you, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know what would possess him, because this was not my father. I don't know why, why he did this, but he would come home from work sometimes, and he'd have a couple of those bags of, like, the factory seconds of the Johnson Cookies, and there were gingerbread ones, and there were chocolate chip cookies and all those. You never knew exactly, but he, he went and bought factory seconds of that stuff. Yeah, no, I think, no, it's... um. That's fun to take a walk down memory lane. Uh, it's, you know, again, Zima is coming back. I keep thinking that maybe they're going to bring back Ondecker. Who knows what they might bring back next? Maybe even New Coke. Okay, um, let's see. Dutchland Dairy Onion Rings, Pabst Red White and Blue Ribbon Beer, Blatz. Yeah, you got the old Blatz stuff that's going on. All right, just a couple minutes. I'm out of time. I wish we could take more calls. We'll find out what's coming up on WTMJ today. It's 1155. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1158, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, running a little bit behind. Eric Bilstead, what's coming up Hello, on sir. WTMJ today? Hello. Lots to discuss. The warm weather, new Earth-like planets, changes in Milwaukee, perhaps, an ACLU lawsuit, immigration issues, a daycare update that Michelle Richards has been investigating. We have lots to discuss in the next three hours, including there ought to be a law. It's Wednesday, 207. All right. Stick around. Scott Warris, Eric Bilstead. WTMJ today. I am out of time. I'm back 8.30 tomorrow morning when we do this all again. Enjoy at least one more day of beautiful weather at 66 degrees at our studio. Have a great Wednesday. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1159.